heavy weaponry. And just three minutes away, similarly armed, heavily armed, uniformed soldiers. How is it possible that they can be operating at such a short distance from each other without them ever coming into um, contact with each other? O cómo se explican que haya retenes policiales, retenes militares sobre vías carreteables y por esos lugares circulen estos hombres armados, vestidos de camuflados con armas largas y mientras a los civiles nos exigen documentos de identidad, estos grupos y estructuras armadas pueden circular libremente. How do you explain? that there may be that through police and military roadblocks on the on the roads these um, paramilitary forces heavily armed men in camouflage can walk freely can transit freely while the civilian population um, have to um, show their identity documents are um, under control from the armed forces and the police qué significa ser ciego sordo y mudo does this mean it means being blind, deaf and dumb? ¿Y qué significa que estos territorios como los del Putumayo, los del departamento del Meta estén proyectados dentro del Plan Nacional de Desarrollo como regiones para la inversión extranjera? And how do we explain that these regions as well as regions such as Putumayo and, and Meta in the southeast, are designated under the National Development Plan as areas for foreign investment. ¿Y qué significa que nuestro presidente venga a Londres la semana entrante y su participación esté en un escenario en que dos empresas petroleras británicas acogen e invitan de alguna manera a una rueda de negocios. And how do we explain or what does it mean what's the significance of the fact that the president of Colombia will be in London next week to attend a series of meetings which have been established by two UK petrol companies. Nuestro presidente dirá que todo es legal. Pero el entorno de la inversión está lleno de ilegalidad. Our president will say this is all legal investment, but the context of the investment is entirely illegal. Estos territorios de comunidades negras e indígenas están ocupados por estos grupos criminales. The territories that belong to the black population and the indigenous population are occupied by these illegal armed actors that I've described. La cocaína llega a Europa mezclada en ocasiones con bananos de la región del Urabá antioqueño y cruza esa cocaína por los territorios de las comunidades negras indígenas. Cocaína que llega en Europa comes um, at times is shipped at times mixed in with the banana crops that are grown in the northwestern region of, of Urabá and to bring it to um, to to export towards Europe it crosses these territories that are the possession of the black population and the indigenous population. Y quien denuncia esta ceguera, esta mudez y esta sordera institucional es amenazado por esas estructuras paramilitares. 
And people who complain or who, who, who make public complaints about this blindness and this deafness and this failure to speak of the authorities, as a result of their complaints, they are threatened. Los jóvenes en condiciones de miseria y de exclusión que no son contemplados en el Plan Nacional de Desarrollo son forzados a ingresar a este tipo de estructuras criminales. Young people living in poverty, socially excluded, about whom there is nothing written in the National Development Plan, they are forced, because of their condition of poverty and exclusion, to join these illegal armed groups. Y una mujer lideresa de una comunidad que Laura conoce cuando fue defensora del pueblo, que James conoció y que Luisa conoció, ha intentado ser abusada en tres ocasiones por denunciar estas operaciones. And a woman, um, a leader of these communities that Laura knew when she was working as a um, human rights ombudsman, that James knew, that others of you knew, she has been threatened for, for um, denouncing um, this, um, this situation. Algunos de los niños que son jóvenes cuando James estuvo en Colombia, hoy han tenido que abandonar el territorio porque no, porque se niegan a ser parte de estas estructuras criminales. Some of the children, the young people that James knew when he was in Colombia, have been forced to leave these territories because they refuse to take part in these criminal organizations. The alternative is to leave. Pero no todo es tragedia, ni es tristeza. Honramos la vida, honramos la verdad, honramos la búsqueda de justicia. But not everything is tragedy. We honor life, we honor truth, and we honor justice. El acuerdo de paz ha sido costoso en términos de vidas humanas para las FARC. The peace agreement has seen the death of, of many members of the FARC. Para muchas y muchos líderes sociales que han trabajado por la paz. And of many community social leaders who have worked for peace. Pero también para que por primera vez los colombianos que vivimos en las ciudades, los jóvenes universitarios y unas nuevas generaciones se hayan acercado a descubrir el rostro de las personas colombianas que viven en estos territorios. But it's also for the first time meant that Colombians who live in the cities, university students, the coming, the rising generations, for the first time as a result of the peace process, have come to know the faces, come to know the faces of these people who live in the rural areas, the people I've been describing. Hacer conscientes de que nuestra democracia tiene déficit porque se ha basado en la mentira y en la exclusión política y la exclusión social. And they've come to realize that our democracy in Colombia is deficient because it's based on lies, both and also political and social exclusion. Y hoy en medio de estas situaciones adversas y de los ataques del propio presidente de la República a la, a la independencia judicial, estamos protegiendo las instituciones precarias que hay de justicia en Colombia. And today, in the face of the attacks that President Duque is um, carrying out against the, judicial the principle of judicial independence um, in the country, we are doing what we can to protect 
the, to protect the weak and um, shaky legal institutions of the country. Y protegemos la jurisdicción especial de paz acordada entre el gobierno y las FARC. ¿Por qué? Porque el país necesita saber la verdad. And we're protecting the um, special jurisdiction for peace which was created as a result of the peace process between um, the Colombian government and the FARC. Why? Because the country has to, has a need to understand um, the truth and to um, have and to enjoy justice. Porque los asesinados, los desaparecidos forzados y los desplazados no son exclusivamente por las operaciones de las FARC. Because the murders, the, the deaths and the disappearances and the displacements are not just the responsibility um, of the FARC. Y hoy, sectores del gobierno, sectores empresariales que planificaron el paramilitarismo como parte de su estrategia para acumular riqueza y para proteger riqueza, tienen miedo a la verdad. And today, sectors of government, business sectors, that planned and financed the paramilitary movement in order to protect their interests, and to, rate, to make money for themselves are fearful of the consequences of truth um, coming out, truth about their, their history coming out. Y la base de la posibilidad de que nuestra democracia sea una democracia madura, moderna, que posibilite la inclusión, pasa por la verdad. And the only way that our democracy will be able to mature to be able to modernize will be through a process of inclusion of the population. En las fotografías que ustedes han visto, habrán observado unas personas con unas camisetas que están de pie. Allí hay excombatientes de las FARC, excombatientes de los paramilitares, excombatientes de las fuerzas militares que se acercan a las comunidades indígenas y negras a partir de un festival de las memorias para decir, aquí estamos y reconocemos el daño que hicimos. Y se empieza a tejer entonces la verdad histórica, la que han negado medios de información poderosos, la que han negado estrados judiciales, la que han negado presidentes de la república y muchos empresarios y mandos militares. In these pictures that you've been seeing behind us, you will see people standing up in shirts, standing on their feet, and these are former FARC combatants, their former paramilitary combatants, and their former soldiers, former members of the armed forces. And these are pictures of them in, when they have gone to communities in, some, in processes that we call events that we call Festival of Memory. And they go there in order to recognize um, that they have been, uh, what they have done and the damage that they have caused to the communities. And they do this in order to try to um, arrive at um, the historical truth, yeah. um, which has been denied systematically in the past, is being denied by powerful media interests, by legal institutions in many circumstances, 
by presidents of the Republic, by members of the business community, and by military commanders. These events are leading people uh, where, uh, where ex-combatants are recognizing what their role has been. Por eso el Partido Centro Democrático, el Partido del Presidente y los sectores más conservadores de Colombia se oponen a la verdad. And for that reason, the party, the Democratic Central, um, the Cent Democratic Central Party, which is the party of the um, Democratic Center Party, which is the party of the president, and other powerful sectors, conservative sectors in the country, it is for these reasons that they are so opposed to the peace process. Quieren acabar y cuestionar a la Comisión de la Verdad y a la Jurisdicción Especial de Paz en particular. In particular, they're interested in attacking, in working against the Truth Commission and the Special Jurisdiction for Peace. Por eso es que hoy también observamos con profunda alegría cómo sectores militares, generales y coroneles se opusieron a órdenes y directrices de la Comandancia de las Fuerzas Militares que ordenaba matar civiles e incluso ligarse con grupos criminales para matar y mostrar resultados matando, como lo denunció el New York Times. And for that reason, we're extremely pleased to be able to note that important high-ranking officials of the armed forces, generals and colonels in the armed forces, refused to obey orders that came from military high command, ordering them to murder <coughs> civilians and to form alliances with paramilitary groups um, in a set of orders that were Um, exposed by the New York Times earlier on this year. Nuestro ejercicio de búsqueda de la verdad y de lucha de la verdad es no solamente por nuestro conflicto armado interno, por lo doloroso y las desgracias generadas. Es también por la posibilidad de que al vernos en un espejo comprendamos lo que significa el haber respaldado fachadas de democracia, haber respaldado electoralmente en cada uno de nuestros países aquellos que han respaldado guerras en el mundo, armamento en el mundo y la crisis ambiental por la producción de ese armamento. Our search and our struggle for truth is not only related Um, to our own internal um, armed conflict, terrible as it was, but also because it gives ourselves an opportunity to look at ourselves in the mirror and to understand the facade of democracy that has characterized um, Colombia and that has been supported by and that has ramified itself also, manifested itself also in wars around the world, in the arms trade, um, and that together have led to the environmental crisis that all of us are suffering. Por eso también estamos exigiendo a nuestro gobierno se siente a reanudar los diálogos con el ELN y a cumplir lo que ha acordado con la FARC. And that's why we are demanding um, of our government that it sits down at the table, the negotiating table, it renews negotiation with the ELN and that it fulfills what it has promised to do in the terms of the peace agreement with the FARC. Y estamos inventándonos fórmulas para que exista un sometimiento judicial del paramilitarismo en Colombia. And we're working on ways to ensure that the paramilitary forces in Colombia actually have to respond to justice. 
y ante la realidad del modelo neoliberal y de mercado en el mundo, poder decir, tenemos una paz democrática que tiene inclusión social y que limita los abusos de derechos humanos que puedan cometer las empresas, que limita la posibilidad de la comisión de delitos ambientales que pueden cometer las empresas, por lo menos limitarla. And faced with the challenge of the neoliberal world economy, we are working towards a, a democratic peace, um, a peace with um, a social peace, if you like, that at the very least limits the human rights abuses that are committed by um, business interests, by, by companies, um, and that also um, recognizes as crimes and limits the crimes against the environment um, that are being committed as a result of, of business Um, activities. At least this is what we are attempting to do, to create a, a truly participatory democracy. Por eso, gracias por estar aquí. Somos parte de esas soledades que nos encontramos para construir una apuesta de una nueva humanidad en un nuevo planeta. Para nosotros, por nosotros y las nuevas generaciones que están llegando con nosotros. Gracias. So many thanks for, for being here. We're all of us a part of this movement to create um, a new world, to construct new possibilities for humanity, for us and for the new generations that are emerging as we speak. Thank you very much. Okay, so I'm going to speak uh, from the perspective of Peace Brigade International, um, an organization that provides uh, life-saving support and protection to human rights defenders. Um, just to mention that there are people in the audience, like Dan and Kyla, that have been field volunteers in Colombia, so if you have questions about what it's like to be a volunteer or anything else regarding their experience, I think they would be a, a really good source you know, um, of information and knowledge. Um, so PBI has a, a presence at the minute, uh, at the moment, in seven countries, in Latin America, in Asia, and in Africa. And we have a presence in Colombia as well, and we've been there since 1996. Um, currently, we are protecting over 700 human rights defenders and communities across all these different countries. Um, our aim is to create an enabling environment where human rights defenders uh, are able to operate safely. And we do this by raising the, the visibility of the risk that these human rights defenders face, and at the same time ensuring that uh, stakeholders uh, from the international community and sometimes at national and regional level have an understanding of this risk and then we engage them in protection actions in order to assure that these human rights defenders can continue with their work. Um, we, we work on the premise that human rights defenders are key players in upholding the rule of law. 
uh, we truly believe that um, they are instrumental in building societies uh, and, and in building um, peaceful democracies. And this is the reason why last year we nominated the Global Community of Human Rights Defenders for the Nobel Peace Prize. Our theory of change um, assumes that a sustained presence on the ground of, of some of these um, activists and their work combined with very strategic advocacy and policy work at national, regional and international level can actually increase the safety of, of human rights defenders and communities. Over the last 20 years, over 3,500 uh, human rights defenders have been killed worldwide. And this is probably a figure that uh, is not very accurate. It's, it's probably above this figure. And we can say that, unfortunately, human rights defenders continue to operate in, in even, even more dangerous environments um, nowadays. They face the stigmatization, they face criminalization, they are forcibly disappeared. Um, they, you know, they are seen as sort of a continuous sort of um, shrinking of the space in which they operate, uh, partly due to sort of new laws being passed that are effectively restricting and repressing uh, their sort of right to exercise fundamental freedoms. Only in 2018, well, only 321 human rights defenders were killed worldwide. In Colombia, PBI, as I said, has had a presence for quite a number of years, and this sadly has been due to the fact that the, the levels of risk and intimidation of human rights defenders and communities has been very, very high. Um, we can say that Colombia is one of the most dangerous countries in the world to be a, a human rights defender. Um, they continue to be killed. They continue to be disappeared. Um, they are sort of subject to defamation, criminalization, as you know, Danilo has just mentioned. Again, you know, we would say that there are special sort of vulnerable groups within the human rights defenders community that uh, are at most risk, and you know, some of those, as Danilo has mentioned, are land rights and environmental defenders, and also women human rights defenders. Um, you know, obviously, the fact that uh, you know gender plays a role, and, and the use of you know sexual violence against women—I mean, that that makes uh, women defenders quite vulnerable when it comes to them, you know, exercising um, their right to defend human rights. Um, in 2018, um, a human rights defender was killed every 48 hours. Um, according to figures from the Human Rights Ombudsman Office. Uh, in 2018, 172 human rights defenders were killed. That same year, they, this office apparently issued 80 alerts uh, regarding security um, issues uh, with human rights defenders and communities. Only in 2019, between January and April, 51 human rights defenders have been killed, and you know the, the, the figures sort of increases uh, day by day, unfortunately. According to human rights defenders and, and local sources, um, you know, the kind of the, 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 the perpetrators and, and the kind of the people uh, and actors responsible for those human rights violations are mostly new para paramilitary groups, as uh, Danilo has uh, rightly stated. 
And there is often um, sort of collusion and, and links with uh, sort of state authorities. And, and you know, what underpins uh, some of these killings and attacks is often related to economic interest and territorial control issues. Especially, you know, since the peace agreement was signed, uh, the very fact that the FARC sort of withdrew from certain areas meant that these new paramilitary groups took over, and then uh, they obviously, um, you know, unfortunately start to hostigate and, and intimidate uh, human rights and communities, as it is the case in some of the areas where uh, Danilo operates. Um, so, yes, we can say, unfortunately, that since the peace uh, accords were signed in 2016, there has been a spike in killings of human rights defenders, and the situation has deteriorated considerably, particularly for those defenders working on land rights and environmental issues. Um, so, according to figures from the uh, High Commissioner's Office for Human Rights, 59% of the killings of land rights and environmental defenders happened in rural areas. This is a real issue because, you know, some of these communities and defenders are very much isolated and therefore, you know, they are in a much uh, more kind of vulnerable position and, and are a much easier target. Um, PBI, in fact, you know, uh, one, one of the aims of our work is to ensure that uh, we work very closely with grassroots organizations and, and grassroots communities. So our role is to ensure that, you know, we just don't stay in capitals and, and sit in our sort of nice offices, but rather, you know, spend time in the field and, and, and with the communities to show you know, in a very visible way that the international community is watching and is monitoring and that there will be concerns if human rights attacks uh, happen against human rights defenders and communities. For example, in Colombia, uh, in some of the regions where Danilo's organization, the Intercharcha Commission for Justice and Peace, uh, works in the Higuamiando and the Curbarando river basins, in this area, unfortunately, since February 2019, there has been reports of new paramilitary groups operating in the area, and also members of the ELN. And, you know, PBI has been in the area because we accompany them. And, and in fact, the, the fact that PBI is, is able to go along with them means that they can actually enter into areas where otherwise it would be too risky and too dangerous for them to travel by themselves. Um, and, you know, these groups uh, are kind of besieging the, the population, they are threatening them, and they are also hostigating them. And there has been a recent sort of plan to sort of kill, uh, unfortunately, uh, members of the commission, the Interchange uh, Commission, uh, and Danilo, um, I mean, he's a really brave human rights defender and an extremely committed human being. And unfortunately, this is not the first time. I mean, since 1994-96, uh, he has been subject of attacks and intimidation, surveillance, and uh, there has been many attempts against his life, and yet he continues um, supporting the communities and, and defending rights in, in, in the way that he's, he's explained. So I think I'm, I'm just going to say, uh, to finalize that, for us, the, the very fact that there is so much sort of pressure on, on, on this kind of new renewable sources, uh, you know, whether it's um, hydro powers or um, solar farms or uh, any other kinds of what is called sort of uh, clean energy, uh, the fact that there is a lot of collusion and corruption, uh, you know, between governments and some of these corporations that are very eager to sort of get into territories, no matter, you know, who uh, sort of occupies them. 
and the, the fact that they don't consult with communities, they don't do free, prior and informed consent, they don't follow the UN guiding principles on business and human rights, which you know grants certain rights to communities. This means, and this also coupled with the fact that uh, you know, all these attacks and intimidations are not properly investigated. Uh, on the contrary, you know, uh, there are no advances into investigations of uh, killings and attacks against defenders, which means that there is, you know, total impunity for perpetrators, and therefore is is almost allowed to kill human rights defenders. Yeah, there is no sort of punishment. So all this means that the security situation of human rights defenders is hugely and heavily undermined. So. You know, we, we are a small drop in the ocean, and as, as internationals, there is a role that we can play to protect and defend human rights, and we do it by being by the side, uh, having a, a non-sort of uh, interventionist approach, because, uh, you know, part of the role of PBI is to report and to monitor uh, about the security situation and then alert the international community in country with the embassies, the UN, and also internationally with parliamentarians, governments. Um, but the very fact that you know we we express and show our solidarity by being there physically, by walking into the areas where it's too risky to to go by themselves, I think it's our small way to to sort of accompany them and to show that you know we believe in the work that they do. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'm going to give you a, a brief sort of resume of the kind of work we do. And accompanying it, you'll see pictures of people who, um, lawyers from all over, well, 19 different countries who have gone to Colombia to support human rights lawyers and human rights defenders. And though the caravan actually uh, has been going for more than 10 years, it had, had its roots about um, four years before that, when the Law Society of England and Wales invited a human rights lawyer to speak in a seminar, and I was asked to interpret, I was profoundly shocked at the risks that she described and the attacks and the killings of human rights lawyers and human rights defenders. And I met PBI, and from then on, we built a strong relationship to um, ensure that lawyers could come to Europe and meet lawyers from all over, and bar associations, members of the Federation of European Bars. And we um, got a, a request to see if we could um, fund two lawyers, one from the Bar Council, the barristers, and one from the Law Society, the solicitors, to review 100 cases that the um, that Caja, the Colectivo de Abogados de José Alviares Trepo, with whom we have this relationship of inviting lawyers and hosting them, they were taking these hundred cases to the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. And so two volunteers, lawyers from England, went and um, 
reviewed the cases with Cahar. And as a result, Cahar asked us if we could organise a delegation. And I thought about it and said yes, thinking it was about 10 people. And as Luis says, they were really asking for 100 lawyers. We managed 72 in the first year. And our aim was to investigate the situation of human rights lawyers by interviewing them, meeting their clients and hearing their testimonies. And these are people, they were <coughs> people whose cases were being taken up, they were victims and members of victims' families, and they were people who had been tortured and killed. And there was a culture of impunity, which we've already you know, referred to, little action by the prosecutors and the courts to bring the perpetrators to justice, and so human rights lawyers were bringing the cases for victims and their families. And during the visit, we didn't stay in Bogota, we went out into uh, other cities. Because there were so many, we could divide into smaller groups. And there we met the local lawyers and their clients, and we met judges, we visited prisons, courts, we met prosecutors. Um, generally, we began to understand a lot more from those people who were um, suffering the situation. And some of us observed the um, hearings where paramilitaries were supposed to admit to um, judges what they had done, and we would sit in a room with victims' families and watch on a big screen the hearings inside a courtroom close by. Unfortunately, all we could see was that these um, paramilitaries, former paramilitaries, supposedly, kept saying they couldn't remember anything. And we, um, they're supposed to be disbanded during that period, but some of those organisations exist today with even the same names. You know, it's, it's uh, not a case of disbanding paramilitary by any means. And we learnt a lot. And on our return, we decided that we should carry on the work by sharing the information we had. We do reports, public meetings, um, and encouraging people to join us and to um, do work in. Um, if you know what Amnesty does, in Amnesty International does in terms of urgent actions, we were doing the same for um, any lawyers that uh, received threats or attacked and. Um, uh, assassination, asking the authorities to ensure that they have protective measures. And we publish a report after every visit, and on that table day, there's some of the reports for you to take, and you can find them all online if you look for um, www.colombiancaravana.org.uk. And it, the, the growing network is really important because um, if you have a number of lawyers, a network internationally, then in each of those different countries, they can play a role in sharing information with their foreign ministries. They can play a role in doing the letters, the urgent action letters. And the letters, I've got three here that we did um, for Danilo. And each one asks, it states the facts of the latest um, uh, threats and attacks, and it uh, asks for protective measures and quite a lot of specific um, things that we ask for. There's a present for, for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And our work included supporting David Ravello, who was in prison for a long time, and I visited him um, in prison in Bogota and spoke at a conference where we were supporting his family. And um, James himself actually did a really good poetry evening when we were honoring David Ravello in that time, and you can read lots more about that on our website, so please do. In our latest work, we're observing a trial which is called the Twelve Apostles Trial. And the importance of this trial is that it gets at the organization and the intellectual, you know, who gives orders, why were there paramilitary groups, how did they grow up? And the defendant in this case, accused of organizing paramilitary groups, is Santiago Uribe, who is the brother of the former president, Alvaro Uribe. And because the international legal community is sending a mission there every time there is a hearing, it ensures that there is support for the due process, ensuring that the court follows all the rules and that the judge is supported in following the rules and that the lawyers are supported in following those rules. And um, we we jointly do that with um, the Bar Human Rights Committee and we um, have been doing that since December. The latest hearing was in May. Each time it's supposed to be a final hearing and each time the defendant's lawyer, Santiago Uribe's lawyer, asks for an adjournment. And so, you know, another date is found. Um, it's been a long, you know, like this case has been going on for more or less 25 years, and the organization of paramilitary groups by Uribe brothers on their farms started in the early 1990s, and the witnesses that we heard were talking about um, the links that existed between army, police, and paramilitaries in that period. It was really interesting to hear the details. And then I will conclude and say that it's really important if you want to get involved, please do. Have a look at our website and see how you can become a member. Please read our, our reports. Over there, um, Pierre and Dave are members of our um, advocacy group who draft the letters, and that is really an important role. And there is um, room there for more if you would like to join in. And over here is Charlotte, our chair, and Kathy, another director of the Caravana. So please uh, come up and talk to us afterwards. Um, you know, the international scrutiny and monitoring of human rights in Colombia is vital. It's vital for the protection of human rights of human rights defenders, the victims and their families who seek justice. It's vital for the transitional justice that is part of the peace process. And it's vital for the lawyers who represent the victims and who are part of creating transitional justice. So thank you very much for the creation
plenty of time for questions. Um, I'll just remind you some of the things that uh, have been said by people. We heard from Danny Lurueda about how grassroots communities were most affected by the horrendous crimes many of which were classified as crimes against humanity um, during the conflict uh, leading up to the peace process of the past, but how that conflict continues today. He also talked about how costly the effects, uh, the, the um, uh, peace accord had been in terms of lives of people. Uh, both human rights defenders, community leaders, and also FARC members themselves and their families. Uh, he talked a bit about the um, memory festivals and how they were working with former FARC paramilitaries army to reveal the historical truth. And he talked a bit about how uh, high-ranking army officials some of which had rebelled against the orders they were given to work with illegal paramilitary groups. And then Susie Bastogne talked a bit about how Peace Brigades International protect human rights defenders and the theory behind that. And Sarah Chandler about the actions that they are taking today in order to keep many spaces open, particularly in relation to legal cases and to protect human rights defenders.